Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. And you are live. Hi everyone, I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sip slowly, sit back, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. I think I'll take a little sip right now. Ooh, that's quite lovely, actually. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back for yet another round of Cosmic Cocktails. So, what's this show all about? On this show, we try to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's squiffy, slightly deranged little world. And we try to do this objectively, putting aside preconceived notions and assumptions, rising above the often pathetic and always immature rhetoric of partisan politics. Because our goal is to let the spirit inhabit the human so that we may rise above the dysfunction, rise above the dichotomy and rise above other D words, allowing us to see clearly what is going on around us and within us. So right then, no pressure. I'm sure that if we all indulge in a healthy dose of honesty, we can figure this all out. Now, this program exists primarily to encourage we the people to connect the dots and see through the relentless campaign of perceptual engineering imposed on the masses by whatever you choose to call the establishment. The name changes, but the poopery remains the same. Folks, it's time to reclaim our minds and move our civilization into the light. And we do this, on this show anyway, by answering your questions. So let's keep that going, shall we? Keep those questions coming in. If you want to send them via email, send them to Arnie Abadissian. Uh, actually, don't. Don't do that. Send them to Arnie at ArnieAbadissian.com. If you want to send snail mail, and that's perfectly fine, send them to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070. And please, just a reminder, Don't leave your um, comments on my voicemail because, you know, it, it gets old and I have to delete it. But if you write me a really long email or a long letter, I promise to read that. But I will delete if you drone on and on on my voicemail. Okay, point taken. Thank you very much. Let's get right to the letters. What have we got? What have we got? Let's pull some stuff out of the box. Right. Oh, here's one. Okay. So our first comment today comes from a chap called Toby who declines to give his location, and that's perfectly fine, Toby. I mean, it's not as if I'm going to track you down and visit you or something. Well, you know, that would be so creepy. I wouldn't do that. No. Okay, Toby says, Miss Avidician, for all your talk on spirituality, empathy, and the like, you are not very politically correct, are you? Actually, at times, I think you are quite rude. <laughs> 
Oh, mm, thank you, Toby. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to write to me. Okay. Uh, with regard to political correctness, I do believe it is part of a greater agenda to stop people from having open and honest discussions. Uh, I think that political correctness would have you pussyfoot around issues and not address the core of an issue just because it might offend someone. In other words, let's not discuss anything of importance because people are far too sensitive to handle such matters. Can you not see the agenda behind that, Toby? Can you not hear the voice in the background saying, Oh, you poor, frightened little people playing at being citizens. Let us, your corporate overlords, masquerading as a governing body, take away the burden of making decisions for yourselves. Let us feed your fragile little minds with nonsense and give you expensive toys to play with while we perfect a million and one new ways with which to distract you from participating in a spirit-centered and meaningful life. Hey, who needs critical thinking skills when you can pop one of the establishment-manufactured blue pills? Look, political correctness has nothing to do with courtesy or respect or good manners. They've been around forever. No, PC... It's a blatant attempt to dim down our minds, to discourage discussion. Now, in my day, I know I sound old, but I am getting there. In my day, we had debating societies in school and in college. And we had them specifically to prepare us for the real world, or as we like to call it, our dominant experience focus. We had these debating societies so that we could learn to debate hot topics with respect and with courtesy. The goal, by the way, was not to be right or wrong, because you didn't score points in these things. The goal was to explore ideas and to discuss them and entertain everyone's point of view and come to some sort of consensus, something new we had created, a new thought form in the world. And hopefully that would make the world a better place. No, Toby, I am not politically correct. I never have been. And I never will be because I am a free thinker in love with creation. I care far too much about the world and I love my God and this planet and probably the rest of the cosmos far too much to be PC. Now, as for rudeness, well, I'm sure I'm not perfect, but please don't confuse being direct with being rude. Sometimes a little bluntness is needed to make a breakthrough. Because honestly, people tend to miss the obvious, don't they? We see this time and time again. Rudeness to me, well, that would be if I said, you're a brainless plonker or you're a witless wanker, which of course I would never do. I certainly wouldn't say that on radio anyway. But, you know, I'll admit, Toby, whoever you are, wherever you are, I can be a tad blunt on occasion, but it's not a personal attack. It's a plea for people to come to their senses and to think for themselves. So thank you, Toby, for the comments. It's actually something I've wanted to talk about for some time now. And I think maybe I'll make a little video on the subject and put it on my own personal YouTube channel. So cheers, Toby, for the question. All right. I'll just say one last thing about that. You know, when people say to you, how dare you say that? How dare you? How dare you? Please don't let people silence your thought process. 
we can debate and discuss respectfully and courteously. PC is something else entirely. Okay, and let's have another question here. And what have we got? Oh, yeah, here's one. All right. So our next question is from a young couple, it seems, uh, Noah and Olivia, and they live in Vermont, USA. And this is, uh, this is their missive. Hello, Annie. Hello, Noah and Olivia. We have been married for three years now and are exploring the idea of having children. I would say that we are on the path to awakening and care very much about this planet's future. Good for you. However, when we discuss having children with our friends, they are less than encouraging. Do you have any input for us? Should we have children? Or is it, as our friends seem to think, all doom and gloom and have fun now because tomorrow you may die? Well, um, we may well all die tomorrow. Who knows? I mean, we could walk out into the street right now and be hit on the head by a toilet seat from an obsolete space station, hurtling through the ethers, and bam, one minute you're a human, the next minute you're strawberry jam. So, I mean, who the heck knows what the future holds? We all think we know something, but, you know, who knows? Every thought creates another ripple in time and space, and the future changes billions of times a day. So I think probably we should carry on as though we have one, you know, a future, that is. Now, with regard to children... Planetary considerations aside, having and raising children, especially raising children, is something we humans are notoriously bad at. When we decide to procreate, what are we doing? We're not just fumbling through some biological function and out pops a wee babby. No. When we decide to procreate, we're assuming responsibility, guardianship, for a fellow manifestation of source energy. Supreme cosmic intelligence is going to come into this world and have an experience. So let's take a moment to think about that, shall we? What are we doing when we decide to procreate? We are bringing forth God in a human bod. Now that is one heck of a responsibility, not something to be taken as lightly or for granted as it is here. So... Yes, the child will share our DNA. And of course, if you understand the process of cosmic creation, soul contracts, pre-birth agreements and so forth, the child chose you as parents and you agreed. So all of this was some sort of little celestial chit chat we did on the other side. You know, that's that's a given. And of course, your progeny will share many of your characteristics through bloodline coding. But and it's a rather large but. It's an individualized soul with its own path and its own story to write. Clearly, this is not always respected in our society, or we wouldn't be counseling people in their 70s because of the damage and lack of nurture received in their early formative years of life. Our job as parents, as guardians, is to educate our offspring, not only in the ways of the world, keep them safe, teach them how it works, but to give them fertile space in which to explore the bigger picture, to help them learn and explore their true nature as cosmic space adventurers. Too many parents fall into the trap of unrealistic expectations. They want their children to be better versions of their own selves, or they insist on a course of learning, ha ha ha, that goes against the child's soul path. 
Oh, I want my baby to have everything I didn't have. Okay, fair enough. I want my baby to be an engineer because I couldn't. Well, what if your baby's a poet, you know? Now, I'm first to admit that earthlings misuse terrestrial resources, and that's we are, you know, we're overpopulated because of that. I, I agree with your friends. And I do wish we would slow down a bit with the bonking and the birthing. But, you know, if you want to have children, go ahead. Go ahead while it's still legal. Go ahead while there's still room to have children. Go ahead. Here's my advice if you want to have kids. Examine your relationship. You, Noah, Olivia, your relationship. Are you both happy together? Are you friends as well as lovers? Is there respect between you? Do you give each other space when needed and support when needed? It, will your child be born into a loving, caring, creative environment? And here's a big one. Is your relationship solid without children coming into the picture? By that, I mean too many people with relationship problems have children, hoping it will bring them closer together. And that's not really the best idea, is it? So if you have all of that down and you genuinely want a child, you are genuinely ready as you can be to take on the responsibility of bringing a God into a human bod and caring for it, then heck, go for it. And I hope you're very happy together. And since you stated that you care about the planet's future, our future, I'm sure you will do the best you can to manage your resources properly and teach your children accordingly. And if the planet does blow up, after you have your family, which I doubt, but if it does, just know that the incarnating soul is well aware of the field of potential it is projecting itself into. Okay, in this day and age, you know, <clears throat> in this day and age of what some people call pseudo-enlightenment, we really shouldn't be so concerned about the preservation of our particular bloodline but more about what sort of energy and consciousness we're going to allow in and nurture for the collective evolution of this planet, Mother Earth herself and all the races that live upon her. So good luck with that. If you have a baby, send me a picture. I'd love to see um, what little soul came in through you. You sound like a lovely couple. Thanks, Noah and Olivia. All right, let's uh, pick something else out of the hat. Actually, it's not a hat. It's a sort of ceramic pumpkin thing. I just thought that might be suitable for the season. I don't have a hat. I might get one. All right, another question. Okay, this one, this is from Lucas. And Lucas is originally from Amsterdam. Oh, I have such fond memories of Amsterdam. <laughs> from when I was a, a young woman in London, I shan't go into them. Uh, anyway, so Lucas is originally from Amsterdam. But he now lives in the UK. And Lucas says, All this talk of life being an illusion is confusing to me. I'm here. I'm very real. The car I drive is very real and very expensive. The home I live in is solid. I put food in my mouth and it comes out the other end. Thanks for that, Lucas. I work all day. They give me money. Where's the illusion? Ah, Lucas, let me have a sip of my martini and I'll tell you where the illusion is. Hang on. Oh, that is quite lovely. Mm. 
Okay. Lucas, in my ancient shaman law, the only thing that is described as real is that which never changes. I would interpret that as raw source energy or what I call supreme cosmic intelligence. Everything else is a dream or an experience that source is having. Experiences are a series of encounters and those are temporal and fleeting and changeable projections of our consciousness. Therefore, they are not, in shaman terms, real. So a scientific explanation of that, um, not my strongest point, but I suppose QP quantum physics explanation would be, since all points in space and time are one, therefore everything is happening past, present and future right now in this present moment simultaneously. Mind-blowing concept, but quite logical if you think about it. So what does that mean? Ha! Huh. I suppose it means there is no actual space and that time is merely a sense of chronology we invented for convenience on physical realms. So everything is happening all at once and we are all a part of it all. But somehow this life on this planet is our dominant focus and feels so very, very real. Ah, uh, wow. I guess that's what they mean by an illusion, Lucas. It's as real as you want it to be. Now, that sort of uh, thought process is an excellent starting point for a meditation because we need our minds blown to shatter this old concept of what is illusion and what isn't. In shaman world, everything is a dream within a dream within a dream. You end one dream, you go into another dream. You can have simultaneous dreams. You can be in many dreams at the same time. Whew, who can even explain these things? And you can't have answers to these things. Sometimes we just need to sit down, stare at the ceiling and go, oh, my God, I was at the big bang at the beginning of time. I banged. And then I did string theory things. And then creation started. And I was there as part of all of it. What does any of that mean? So just allow yourself to float on your thought forms in the cosmic ethers and see what inspiration comes to you. I don't know that anything really makes sense. Not at our level of awareness, but it's wonderful to be stuck in the awe and wonder. And every so often, you get a real aha moment. And we don't get too many of those. But if you have enough aha moments, then every so often you'll get those little mm -hmm moments. And we like those because we can process those much easier. Thanks for the question, Lucas. Hope you're enjoying life in the UK. Okay. Next question from my uh, pumpkin pretend phony hat. All right. Ah, ooh. Ah, I remember this one. Okay. This one is from a chap called Hussein. And Hussein was born in Syria, but he now lives in Manchester, UK. Okay. All right. Uh, Manchester United, my favorite football club. Hey, Hussein, I hope you're a United supporter. But if you're not, that's okay. Okay. Hussein writes, Dear Madam, you have stated in some of your Facebook posts that a sense of national sovereignty is an essential component in destroying the globalist agenda. And also that the globalists in turn call those who expose their agenda as racists or worse. Can you expound this theory, please? Thank you for the question, Hussein. I think I may have covered this one, though, from, a, from another caller uh, in a previous show when I talked about Agenda 21 
and Agenda 2030 in, in some detail. But I'm going to answer this question because I picked it. And so here's an overview. All right. The globalist agenda is nothing less than the complete takeover of planet Earth, which they, the globalists, the establishment, the Illuminati, whatever the heck we're calling the poop heads these days, consider to be their private corporation. They work very hard to erode our sense of individual sovereignty and our connection to supreme cosmic intelligence. This is the campaign of perceptual engineering on the masses, which I talk about all the time. The dimming of our minds through campaigns such as political correctness, perhaps, and the new teach your children jack shit school curriculums that are popping up all over the place. If you're discouraged from engaging in frank and open discussion, you will eventually lose your critical thinking skills. And that is exactly what they, the establishment, want. Now, is that all there is to it? No, of course not. Once the connection to the higher self is muted, the next step is to disconnect you from your tribe, your national collective, your cultural roots. How is this done? This is done by manufacturing wars and other organized crises. We are sort of, what, creating refugees, forcing sovereign nations to accept large numbers of refugees from different cultural backgrounds, knowing full well that this will lead to unrest and possibly all-out chaos, and that's when they have the audacity to call those who protest racists. No one is born a racist, are they, really? You have to be carefully taught, goaded and coached. Back to globalism. The plan is to keep flooding these sovereign nations through the influx of refugees or by encouraging open border immigration until the identity of a nation is eroded to the point where the ethnic population becomes the minority. And the globalists can say, well, since there is no longer any discernible national identity associated with this land, we'll just call it Unit 1B and designate it as an industrial zone or a blueberry picking zone or a, a designated uh, domicile zone, whatever. Hussein, you're from Syria originally, and you wrote here that you didn't leave until you were 13. So I'm pretty sure you figured most of this out. You know, and you're in England now in Manchester. The EU, European Union, was designed to pave the way for this kind of globalization, this one world government. The United Nations was formed to pave the way for the one world government. Yeah. So if we all of us disengage from these partisan politics and think objectively, do some research and connect the dots, it's all there in plain view. Nothing is hidden. We've been distracted by the very clever spin doctors. Now, am I against immigration? Well, of course not. Am I, you know, against cultures mixing? Well, of course not. Heavens above, my family were went from Cyprus uh, with a different race ancestry to England and were very well received. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just not a globalist. And what, let me tell you what I mean by that. Because you'll say, oh, what's wrong with all people living as one people? You know, with one rule of law, with one universal spiritual philosophy, one currency, one language, one rock and roll too many. I don't know. All the one, the one, the one, you know. Ultimately, nothing. But how we get there. Now, that's the key. So if one day 
we earthlings become so aligned with source that we decide we don't care what our bodies look like and intermarry without prejudice, hurrah! If we people decide to unify and make the whole planet one big planet, one big party, then I would say hallelujah and congratulations on our advancement and, you know, congratulations on our alignment with all that is. We did it, hurrah! Resource realized. We balanced out the extremes in contrast and started the game of life all over again on a higher dimension. Yippee, yippee, yay. But that's not what's happening, is it? The entire show is being run and manipulated by a handful of sociopaths with their little middle managers and their little minions. The planet is indeed their private company. The terrestrial resources are their inventory, and we, the worker drones, we're going to be worker drones until such time as we choose to awaken and reclaim our sovereignty because we're not the ones saying we are one, we are one. We're not the ones playing the game of uh, homogenize, pasteurize, and dehumanize. No, 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 no. It's them, the sociopaths, the establishment. If we don't wake up, well, then perhaps we deserve to be part of the outcome of our corporate overlords, whatever they've planned for us. So please, let's all wake up because, <clears throat> excuse me, I for one will never bow my head or submit to such an agenda. Now, real quick, um, America. Yes, that big, beautiful country that I live in, that I came to live in 30 years ago for various reasons. There is a sacred purpose to America. It was supposed to be a place... Um, a spiritual beacon for secular spiritualism where people from all over the world would come and they would not be prejudiced against each other. They would live and be free to worship until such time as they all realized that religions perhaps were incomplete and immature. And this was going to be the testing ground for universal brotherhood and sisterhood. And the land would have been prepared by uh, the indigenous peoples who are descended from um, star people and share star DNA. Uh, it didn't quite happen that way, did it? It, didn't, it wasn't supposed to happen that the English would come here, the British would come here and chop down all the trees for their navy, and uh, it didn't quite go wrong. It went wrong. It went very wrong. But America has a sacred purpose. And then the rest of the world would follow along with that. We would let go of nationalism, not the extreme part of nationalism, but a sense of national sovereignty. So I hope you're following what I'm saying. That's not what's happening. If we do it, that's fantastic. If we don't do it, if somebody else does it for us, it's for nefarious purposes. So I thank you for that question, Hussein, because this is going to come up again and again and again. All right. Do we have time for one more question? I think we do. And we'll do one more question now. And if we have time near a closing, because anybody who's listened to these shows knows I'm notoriously bad at timekeeping. If we have time towards the end, we can pull another from the hat. OK, this one is from a lady called Sailor, who lives near Louisville, Kentucky. And she asks, I am interested in learning more about the work you do, especially spiritual property clearing. You mentioned that you have had extensive training in dark energies. Have you ever encountered something you could not deal with, something you could not clear? And have you ever been physically hurt by a ghost or other type of entity? I heard about your story with the demon encounter on the Say What show 
and I'm glad you survived it. Well, sailor, I too am very glad I survived it. And that was a very formative moment in my life. Okay, um, have I dealt with something I could not clear? And have I been injured? Um, let me start with the injury thing. Uh, I have been injured, I think, three times by ghosts that picked up things and threw them at me. Uh, not a big deal. Uh, you know, if ghosts have been around a very, very long time, they learn to manipul manipulate the energy on the physical uh, realm, as it were, because they're sort of in between realms if you, you know, They're, they really are sort of in between realms. But if they've been here a long time, they can start to pick up stuff and throw it around because they're terrified and they want our help to move them on. So I've got a couple of scars from that. Um, but nothing serious. Uh, have I found something I couldn't do? Yes. Yes. Um, one time. And that was fairly recently, actually. Um, and unfortunately, due to confidentiality agreements and other considerations, Um, I am unable to discuss the details with you. Uh, I will say, though, that it was a type of entity I have never encountered in my entire life. And I'm 60 years old. Uh, it was something very rare and uh, unusual and created under very unusual circumstances for a very nefarious purpose. Uh, for whatever reason, I chose to engage with it in astral form uh, better than physical form. Uh, and upon returning to my physical body, immediately manifested physical injuries, which took months to resolve. Uh, one of them is still not resolved. Uh, it was a humbling experience, to say the least. Very painful and a huge learning curve to negotiate. And there is so much more to the story. Um, but that's about all I can tell you. But the chances of people coming across anything you know, out of the blue that ridiculous It's, like I said, I'm 60 years old. I have done this work professionally for 40 years, uh, and this is nothing I ever knew about. So, you know, don't worry about it. If you want to learn this work, fantastic. Drop me an email. Um, we'll see if we can get you connected with people in your area there in Kentucky who do this work. So thank you for that, and thank you for reminding me of that very unpleasant incident, <laughs> which is uh, yeah, very humbling. It, it, it taught me a great deal. Okay. All right, let's put the questions aside for a moment and let me have a sip of my martini. As all this talking, you need a little drinky poo. Oh my, that is a lovely martini today. Um, I think, oh, that's one of the best I've had. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Still don't have any sound effects, so do 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 do. Well, the letters were fun, so what should we do next? I think it's time for the wizard's gizzard a little spiritual ritual that you can make habitual. Today's whizgiz takes a page from the Chinese philosophical system of Feng Shui. Today's protocol is, hey, what's the matter? Why won't you clean up your clutter? Also known as, don't hoard just because you're bored. So, as we've discussed previously, spiritual properly clearing accounts for a significant portion of my work. I've cleared approximately 4,000 properties in my time, and that's a conservative estimate. And it's safe to say I've encountered a wide variety of scenarios, some of which would make your eyes roll. One problem that comes up time and time and time again is clutter, both in the home and in the office and in every kind of property, actually. Clutter clogs up the energy in a property, and it eventually clogs up our own personal energy. 
The divine cannot work through us if it keeps bumping into stacks of old boxes filled with items we haven't even examined in years, let alone used. So, at least once a year, twice is preferable, put aside a couple of days and go through your wardrobes, your cupboards, garages, off-site storage, kitchen drawers, trunk of your car, anywhere where stuff is stored and displayed. This is very difficult for people. We're so attached to our stuff. So as you do this, you have to take a deep breath and pick something up and ask, what purpose does this item serve in my life today? If you haven't used it or worn it in years, chances are you're not going to use it or wear it next year. So sell it or give it away. If Auntie Mabel gave you a vase seven years ago and you hate it, but you held on to it just in case she visits you one day from her little cottage in Montana, move it out for heaven's sake. She'll get over it if she ever makes it to your place. And besides, there's a rule. If you give a gift, you give it. Bye-bye. Lose attachment. How people use your gift is up to them, not up to you. If you're a size 16 and holding on to, <laughs> sorry to laugh, but I, I'm so familiar with this. If you're a size 16 and holding on to size 10 jeans, hoping you'll fit back into them next year, well, um, give them away. If you do actually fit back into them next year, reward yourself with a brand new pair. Books. This is a hard one for me because I am a book fiend. Still, I review my book collection at least once a year. And if I see anything that will be better off in my local library's used bookstore, that's exactly where it goes. And don't forget, by the way, to flip through your books before parting with them uh, to see what falls out. I found a $20 bill once. That was fun. I also found a letter, a handwritten letter by Robert Morgenthau. Now, that was exciting. Um, it was inside another book. I had purchased from Foyle's Bookstore here in Portland, Oregon, huge bookstore, uh, full of wonderful things and, and a lot of secondhand books. So clearly this handwritten letter, which was encased in a, in, in a folder, was inside a book that I had bought but never read. And I sold that for a nice little chunk of change. Thank you very much. So flip your books because you never know what you may find. And the same goes for magazines. People with extensive collections on specialized subjects, it doesn't hurt to check on eBay or similar sites to see if your collection has a dollar value. Just get stuff out, especially if your stacks of magazines and books are on the floor. Things stacked on the floor, feng shui, no, no. So if something has a strong emotional pull, sit with it for a while and process your emotions around it. If you absolutely, positively cannot bear to part with it, fair enough. You can see how you feel about it next year. But just a thought, if it's stored away in a box and you only take it out once a year to review your clutter, eh, do you really feel as strongly about it as you think you do? Something else to review as you do this, uh, this little protocol. How many junk drawers do you have in your home? One is plenty. And even that should be reviewed periodically. You'll be surprised how the energy changes for the better when you have a good old clearing out session. Now, home spring cleaning, it uh, sprinkles the mind as well. And that is a good thing. Uncluttered home, people. Uncluttered mind. You do not need 76 pieces of string 
or twine. You just don't. Yeah. And while you're cleaning up everything, take a look at passageways, corridors in your home. Take because um, you know if you see that you've got stuff on the stairs, not only is it dangerous physically, but it's dangerous mentally as well. The passageways, corridors in your home, all those things, they need to be kept clear. I often find there's a correlation between mental health issues and uh, things that are hoarded along passageways and corridors. Also, the front door and the hallway, the entrance to your home, that needs to be an easy access, nothing blocking the entrance in. And the other thing that we talk about a lot is the basement, the base of your house. Yes, you're going to store stuff there. We all have stuff. But don't just store it and leave it. Go through that once a year as well. Get rid of anything that you know you're not going to use. And if necessary, get fresh cardboard boxes. Repack everything. You will be surprised how wonderful you feel. All right. So that is our protocol. Don't just hoard because you are bored. Empty the mind. Empty the home. Ooh, lovely deep breath. Okay. And when you're done, pour yourself a nice martini because you deserve it. Okay, now let's see where are we are for time. Yep, we're all good. Right, now it's time for Plato Chips, where we highlight a quote from a philosopher of note. And, uh, oh, thank you for all the comments I've been getting about this section. I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, people advise me not to put in philosophy, but I'm really big on philosophy. So uh, thank you. Keep those letters coming so I can tell my friends I was right and they were wrong. All right. Today's choice is Hegel. To be precise, it's George Wilhelm Frederick Hegel, uh, 1770 to 1831. So who was this dude and why is he a notable quotable? Well, I can just hear people, by the way, in the background, especially first year philosophy students going, oh, my God, no, not Hegel, not him. Yes, folks, it's him. So this chap was born in Stuttgart. It's in southwest Germany. His father was employed by the revenue office of the court of the Duke of Württemberg. Sure, that's really important stuff there. Uh, his mother was a very well-educated lady for the day, the daughter of a prominent lawyer. But unfortunately, she died when little Hegel was 13 years old. Hegel also had a younger sister who was unfortunately committed to an asylum and eventually drowned herself, uh, as we would all if we were committed to an asylum. And he had a younger brother who fought in um Napoleon's Russian campaign. Unfortunately, he also died in Napoleon's Russian campaign. So little Hegel was quite lonely. Uh, so he threw himself into his work. He was a serious student. Um, and he, he just he loved languages. He loved learning. In addition to his native German, he learned Latin, Hebrew, Greek, French, English. And he was admitted into the Protestant seminary in Tübingen, where he met uh, two friends who were very influential in his development. Uh, Frederick Schelling was one of them. And uh, Philosophy students, you know who he is. And then there was the other chap, the, the, the poet Frederick Hol, uh, Holderlin, um, who was also a philosopher, but he was better known for his classical poetry. So Hegel lectured, and after he graduated, of course, because he was a serious student, and he lectured on metaphysics, he lectured on logic, he gave joint lectures with Schelling on philosophy. Um, in 1802, with Schelling, he wrote and published The Critical Journal of Philosophy, now, that may not sound like much to you and me, but in 1802, these two guys were quite the young movers and shakers um, of their day. So the four main books that Hegel wrote in his lifetime were the 
phenomenology, um, and no one can ever say that right, of spirit, which he later adapted for use as a schoolroom textbook. Actually, when I haven't been drinking martinis, I can say anything right. Uh, the Science of Logic, which is a book I enjoyed very much. The Elements of the Philosophy of Right. And he wrote this encyclopedia of philosophical science, which pretty much all philosophy students are familiar with. Now, if you're new to Hegel, I would start with a book written by Peter Singer, who's also um, a, a modern philosopher of note. And the book he wrote is called Hegel, A Very Short Introduction. Um, it will help you understand Hegel, because I have to say some of his concepts are difficult to follow and it will challenge you. But that's the point, isn't it? So anyway, at the height of Hegel's career, his lectures were sold out affairs. He was attracting students from all over the world and he was decorated by King Frederick William III of Prussia for his contribution, um, well, I suppose, to Prussian glory. I mean, you know, the Prussians loved a bit of glory. So that's most of his background. Oh, he did die, as, as we all do, during a cholera epidemic. He's buried in Berlin. Um, now, interesting but true, most people have not heard of Hegel necessarily, and, and that is a stain on our current system of education, but some at least have heard about the Hegelian dialectic. So what is a dialectic? Um, it is a way of analyzing. It's a method of argument for resolving disagreements, uh, you know. And so as putting it as simply as possible, uh, the Hegelian dialectic uh, says that the human mind can't understand anything unless it can be split into two polar opposites, good and evil, right or wrong, left and right, wet and dry. Um, now, that can get quite complex so let's boil it down to what is familiar to people today in, in Hegelianism, which is the triangle of problem, reaction, solution. So that's another form of the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, most people fall victim to this, and I will say that it's just one of the things that have been used by governments and corporations all around the world all the time to control the masses and society in general. Uh, it ha its deployment has been very effective um, in keeping humanity in check. So... Just about any major event in history employs the Hegelian dialectic, which is problem. Your overlords manufacture a crisis or take advantage of one that's already in place in order to get the desired reaction from us, the people, which hopefully for them is a public outcry, after which we, the public, demand that the establishment give us a solution to the problem that they created in the first place, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, their solution was predetermined from the beginning. So 9-11, for example, is a classic example of an organized crisis, a fallacious ensign. We don't want to use the common term, both words of which begin with F, uh, because it might trigger something which would in turn F us. And we don't want that. So there you have it. Dialectics and Hegel. Problem. Reaction solution. It's a triangle, not a bagel. Ah, okay. Enough philosophy. Go and read bagel. Read bagel. Yes, eat a bagel. Read Hegel. I'm going to slow down on the martinis here. Read Hegel and go eat a bagel. Fantastic. All right. Now, um, I will just add, the more you read about Hegel, the more fascinating it becomes. And you'll see how the people who studied with him uh, were very influential in the form, early formative years of Yale College and education, particularly establishment education in America. So Americans get out there, butter the bagel, 
read the Hegel. All right, now it's time. Do 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 do. It's time for Tarot a go go. A little shenanigana with the major arcana. Once again, a reminder that we're using the Rider Waite deck, not because it's the prettiest, because it's not, and not because I'm enamored with the symbolism. I'm not, actually. Um, it's just that it's the most popular and the most familiar. So we'll go with that, because uh, that's how we started, and that's how we'll finish. Today's card is number four, the Emperor. So what do we see when we look at this chap? Well, he's regal, that's for sure. He is, after all, the male counterpart to the Empress. And the symbolism that I see most often here is the ram's head. I see no less than four ram's heads carved on his throne. And I think there's one on the cape on his shoulder. So no doubt that the emperor is associated with Ares, the ram. And that is a very masculine symbol. Anybody who's been to the county fair and seen the dangly bits on a ram. Yep, uh, that's a man. Okay. This uh, back to the emperor. <laughs> he wears beautiful robes, but underneath you can see that he's wearing full armor. So he is all that is good about the masculine divine, but he will go to war if need be. And uh, some would say that Mars rules Aries, and that is why his robe is red, power, vitality, and he exudes authority. This is not a chap you mess with, is it? I mean, he'll see through your BS and it will not go well for you. Now, in contrast to the Empress, who sits on a throne in a lush field, the Emperor's throne is set in a stark and rocky landscape. This perhaps suggests a life of self-discipline and abstinence. He is controlled. He is measured. He takes his responsibilities seriously. He holds the masculine scepter in his right hand, upon which is the Ankh, a sign of life through all realms and dimensions. And he holds the feminine orb in his left hand. It's difficult to see in some of the illustrations, but it's there. And this represents balance, fairness. He will consider all points of view before passing judgment. This card, you look at it, and this is the world of adults and grown-ups, not boys with toys. And the emperor advises us to use our rational minds to our own selves be true, take responsibility for our thoughts and for our actions. The emperor will protect you and will always do the right and honorable thing. If you ask a question and pick just this one card, you will be guided and you will be protected. However, if you pick it up reversed, run like bloody hell in the other direction, because this is not a man you want to mess with for all the wrong reasons. Number four, the emperor. He can sometimes appear stern, but it's challenging to be wise in a world filled with fools. A reminder, people, that tarot cards are not necessarily a method of divination. No one knows what the future holds. It is the best description I've heard. It is a snapshot of potential. And as such, is very useful, uh, you know, as guidance. Okay, we'll uh, have more tarot a go-go on our next session together. But now, as I look at the clock, I think perhaps it's time for a little pat of poetry. Yes, folks, 
after a hard day's shamaning, I like nothing better than to go home, put my feet up, have a nice cup of tea or a small drinky-poo, and write non-peer-reviewed street poetry. Hey, why have Shakespeare and literary prowess when you can have Cosmic Arnie and a whole lot less? So, what are we going to poet about today? Well, it's October, the beginning of fall, and it's coming up to that season, All Hallows' Eve, where people call, well, they call it Halloween. And I have problems with Halloween. I have problems with the way that it is celebrated. I have problems with the way that we terrify children with ghouls and dreadful masks and monsters. And one of the main problems I have with it, quite apart from the fact that it imprints these horrible, dreadful images into their psyche and has them dream nightmares about it. The main problem I have with it is that they're teaching children that everything on the other side is paranormal, dangerous, evil. And we all know that nothing could be further from the truth. There's a good mix of everything on all of the other sides. So I sat down with my martini earlier because, you know, well, I do say I only have one martini, but I have a test one before just to make sure that I'm in the mood for the show. Um, and I penned this uh, little poem called The Horror of Halloween. So here we are, The Horror of Halloween by yours truly. The countdown begins to Halloween. Children with too much candy in their pockets. A commercial frenzy best not seen as candy makers' bottoms lines skyrocket. What's the problem, they ask? Because, you know, it's just a bit of fun. We chase the kids dressed as monsters and tease them when they cry and run. The problem, friend if I may dare to enlighten, is that children do not feel safe when they are teased and frightened. The faces of those monsters will reappear in their dreams, and what should be a peaceful sleep is now a nightmare filled with screams. All that sugar belongs in the dumpster, and please don't mess with your children's heads. Because too many broken youngsters grow up to walk this earth as the walking dead. Well, there we have it. That wasn't much fun, was it, really? I'll promise to do something a little bit funnier next time. But I do have strong feelings about burning images into young minds. I can't talk enough about it. It's not really a joke. Most of the problems we accumulate, we accumulate by the time we're seven years old. And then nobody has the skills, really, to help us with these emotional issues. So something as simple as guiding your child about what the other side is and, and just don't take them to horror shows. Just let's not do this. Let's not let's not take them to shows where aliens are all going to eat you and they're frightening and where ghosts are all bad. Let's rethink this. Okay. So there we go. That was that um, little poetry corner. And we still have a little bit of time. So I think we can do another question. So let's pick something out of the hat. And let's see. All right. Here's one. Um, and this one is from somebody called Chris. And Chris lives in 
I, I, I can't read your handwriting on this postcard, but I think it's um, I think it's Tacoma in Washington. Okay. And Chris says, um, suburban shaman, uh, do you believe in abortion? Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that because it's not a very well penned question. Um, do I believe in abortion as in does abortion exist? Or do I believe in it as a myth, as a fairy tale? Are we talking historical reference, legal reference? So um, respectfully, I can't answer this question because um, I don't know what you're trying to say. So if you would like to, uh, Chris in Tacoma, Washington, write uh, to me again and pen this question um, elucidating a little, I I'll be happy to answer it for you. Okay. So there is another one we will pick up right now. Um, ah, uh, dear Arnie, and this is from Jake, um, and Jake lives in Salem and uh, Salem, Oregon. That's just half an hour from me. Okay. Um, he says, Arnie, can you tell me the difference between possession and attachment? Uh, I think you're clearly talking in, in, in paranormal terms, Jake. Okay. So a full blown possession, like you see on the movies, is really very rare. That's when uh, a spirit entity, uh, a ghost or a demonic entity can completely take over your energy and physical body and use it to do its will. And those things just don't happen overnight. It usually happens when you have some sort of weird, strange soul contract to do that. Believe it or not, it does happen. Or it happens when you've spent a very long time being depressed and feeling like a victim and you have some serious mental health issues. That's the sort of thing that invites possession, but it's very, very rare. Usually what happens to people, uh, you know, with severe alcoholism, uh, some of these synthetic drugs, which um, are almost impossible to recover uh, from. So that's a full blown possession. And can somebody be depossessed? Uh, yes. Um, Catholics call it exorcism, and nobody knows more about demons than Catholics because they're the ones that brought most of them into this realm the last 2,000 years. Uh, I have done depossessions in my time. They are complex affairs, and it very much depends on how far gone the mental health uh, of the client. You know, the, the, it, let me rephrase that. It really depends on the level of mental health that the client is displaying. Sometimes people are just far too, far too out of it, too far gone. And it's better for them to be institutionalized in a really severe possession case and taken care of that way. What is far more common is an attachment and attachment is not a full possession. An attachment happens when somebody's behavior changes somehow. And it can change for many ways. It can be medication. It can be drugs. It can just be that that person was, uh, feeling fragile and walked into a place where there was an entity um, and an entity will just hang out around you. And one of the easiest way to detect that is if you're with somebody who's been through some trauma or is changing medication, um, it could be various different reasons. If all of a sudden their behavior changes, if suddenly they're craving different foods or they start drinking or stop drinking, or they suddenly want chicken nuggets um, or, you know, it's a behavior change. It's like an attachment is almost like having an unwanted friend coming and saying, come on, do this. Come on, do this. And those are really much easier to remove. 
Of course, you don't have to be possessed and you never have to be attached. What you want to do is to keep your energy anatomy clear and pure and vital and stable. And we do this by uh, breath meditation, keeping our electrical anatomy stable and clear. And we do this by not thinking of ourselves as victims of this world, but as celestial cosmic space adventurers and co-creators. So I hope that explains. I didn't have too much time to explain that to you. Uh, do if you're in, if you're say if you're in Salem, come to one of my classes. Um, I explain I explain that so much better in my classes. So I think I think we're almost at the hour. Oh my gosh, darlings! I think we've done it. We've used up an hour of linear time, and now we will never get back. I very much hope you enjoyed listening to my rantings as much as I enjoyed recording it. Today's real-life martini was carefully crafted by yours truly using gin number one by New Deal Distillery right here in Portland, Oregon, USA. And I must say, this is a lovely drop of gin. And there's so much going on it. Uh, It's just, mmm, there's juniper berries, certainly. But there's citrus. It's unusual, but it's very well blended. And whatever you've done, it works. So well done to the kids at New Deal Distillery. I can't wait to try your other products. Um, I should mention I have no affiliation with New Deal Distillery, but after a couple of these babies, that could easily change. So I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful So until we meet again, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.